Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my very good friend, Pepper Sweeney. Where we discover and explore what it means to be truly known. Hello, Kurt. Hey, Pep. Time has come today. Chambers Brothers, obscure reference, but do you remember it? <laughs> Cuckoo. You remember? I can't sing it because we'll we can't pay the rights for it. But <laughs> I don't. I don't. You know, if I, if I sang today. it, if I sang it, I'm sure that they wouldn't worry about needing to get the rights paid for it. They, Me neither. No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't be worried Me about neither. that. Wait, what's the? So wait, we are, say the reference again. The Chambers Brothers. Yeah. Probably seventies. Uh, okay. Song called "Time Has Come Today." Wow. Cool. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Don't, I don't know, but I'll check it out. And the reason why I bring it up is because today we are going to be delving into the temporal domain of integration. And it has a lot to do with time. It does. It does, indeed. So I want to start by just, just saying this, that we're going to talk about a topic today, the, the notion of how we humans live with this notion of time and what impact it has on our mind and why it's important for us to pay attention to. But just to give an example, I think about how six months ago, this podcast wasn't yet really officially a thing, and now it is. And I go back in my mind to even a year ago or more when we were first really seriously talking about, you know, getting on this horse and riding it and I think about how even remembering the progression of that time span from the time we first started to talk about it seriously to then mm -hmm. starting to produce it and allowing my mind to go back and reflect on that just gives me such joy. Not only do I continue to have joy in what we're doing right now and what, literally what we're doing right now today with this recording and having you all join us, but the idea that I can go back in my mind, that we can go back in our minds and imagine and think about those early conversations and think about comparing where they've come from, where we've come from, from where those early conversations are now. And to be able to, help, what, what gratitude wells up in my heart for you and Amy, for the way God has woven this together. And the fact that I have joy and gratitude has everything to do with the fact that like I can go back and course over the period of time Mm -hmm. in a way that, as far as we know, squirrels don't do, as far as we know. Right. Now, like, like yeah. we say, we don't know that they don't because they're not telling us, but it, it's possible. But it is, it is the case, it seems, that we humans really seem to be the only creatures that we know of who have this sense of time in the way that we do. And we're, we might, you know, you all might be wondering, like, well, what does time have to do with the mind? How does time have anything to do with when we talk about the mind? And um, I want to, I want to just want to juxtapose, I want to juxtapose two things, two things I want to juxtapose. The first thing I want to say is I want to appeal to a verse from the Bible, from Ecclesiastes chapter three, and it's in the eleventh verse. And the verse says this, he, God, he has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. 
it's one of this one of these you know kind of bedrock texts in the biblical narrative in which the writer Solomon in this case we believe was acknowledging that human beings have eternity placed in our heart and it doesn't it's not just something that happens to happen to be there but it has been it has been placed on purpose by God in our hearts this sense that we have an awareness that we've come from someplace and that we are going someplace and that this is different from any other creature on the planet that you know when you study uh, you know zoology you get the sense that animals do have an awareness of memory. They do have an awareness of like, I put the food in that place. They do, ha- they do demonstrate some sense of anticipating a future. But we don't have any clear evidence that would indicate that they have the awareness that they're aware of the passage of time. We don't have the sense that animals are aware that they were born and are aware that they're going to die. Right. You know, uh, I can, I don't have proof of it, but my small case study is that if I step out of my house for two minutes and I step back in, my dog acts as though I've been gone (laughs) for a month. (laughs) You know, the dog has the memory of me, but has no idea that I've literally only been gone for five minutes. I mean, she's jumping up and so excited. And if I leave leave the house for the whole day, I come back, it's the exact same reaction. Well, you know, when we were doing Seasons Pepper, you would leave the room. And you'd come back, and we would all we'd all have the same you'd all we'd all have the same reaction, and I and so I'm not sure that's just right. about so it's not really it's not really a blind case study. I'm not sure that's really about your dog. <laughs> I think I think that's a lot more about you because uh-huh. when you've been gone from five for five minutes, you know, uh, and you come back to the room, yeah. I'm like, I just want to stand up and hug you, and just so glad you've you're back. Yeah, yeah, you and my wife both. <laughs> So it is this it is this strange thing. So we can we can say like yeah, we have a sense of the past and the future. What's interesting in child development is that, you know, so you mentioned your dog. Right. Children don't develop the awareness of a past and a future in the way that we as adults have it until they're probably, you know, somewhere between the ages of about 3 and 6 years of age. A sense that there is a past and that that sense of yesterday is different in my felt sense of imagination than my sense of last week or last year. When I'm four or five years old, I might not have that ability yet. It's not until I become older as a child that I begin to develop this sense. And so we see how even my concept of and my awareness of time, my thought, my awareness that I was born at a time that was so many years ago and that I'm going to die sometime in the future is a function of brain development as well. And so if this isn't just some abstract magical thing that gets inserted into us and we have it from the time that we're on the planet, there is a developmental aspect of this. And so we are a people that have a sense of the past, that we have a sense of birth. And the main thing is that we also have an awareness that we are not going to be on the planet forever. Like nobody gets out alive. Most of us, when we're younger, provided that we don't have any significant chronic medical illnesses or that we don't have a lot of challenges in our lives physically, 
we have a harder time conceptualizing or thinking. Like, I'm, I'm aware that I'm going to die at some point in the future. But I don't really think about it that much. Like, I know it as a fact. But it doesn't really have much of an impact. I'll remember. I'm, I'm 58 now. I remember when I turned 50. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I don't feel nearly as old as I imagined 50-year-olds to be when I was 35. Right. I don't right. feel that. Like, physically, I felt, I felt good. I, I, I didn't have the sense that I was, like, nearly as ready with one foot in the grave as I imagined 50-year-olds to be when I was much younger. So I was really kind of surprised. Like, wow, I'm not nearly as old as I thought I was or that I would be. And at the same time, I also had this very clear sense of almost suddenly, in the course of that 50th, 49th, 50th, 51st year, being aware that I don't have much time left. It's like I crossed some threshold and I became much more acutely aware, the felt sense of the limit of my time here on earth. And I felt the uptick in anxiety. Mostly, not just like worried I'm going to die, but like the uptick of like, oh my gosh, there's so much life to live and I don't have time, right? It's, it, it's, like, it's like Gandalf, right? right? In Lord of the Rings where he says, you know, 300 lives of men have I lived and now I have no time, right? I've been right. here for all this time and now I've gotten to the end. I have no time. Yeah. And so one of the things that we see about our awareness of time is that it creates a source of anxiety for us. Because I'm aware of the future, because I'm aware of the reality that I have a limit to how much time I have, I become anxious about this. One author in his writing suggests that all of culture, all of culture, everything that we do, Everything from the Tower of Babel to Google and Apple and our next big thing. All of culture is an attempt to cope with the reality that we're all going to die. That it is our attempt to put our stamp of eternity on the world. I, I have to admit, I myself have this longing the older I'm getting, the longing to kind of like hang on, the longing to want to make sure that my life matters, that it counts. Almost this sense of like, I want to know that I'm going to live on, that people are going to keep talking about me forever and ever and ever, right? I mean, I know they'll talk about you, but like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm worried that they're, you know, that as soon as, as soon as they have the lunch after my funeral, the lunch is going to be like a big party to say, hey, what can, let's, what, what, like, let's go see the Nats play. <laughs> Who's got tickets? Never. And this sense then that we are anxious about things. And so I said we wanted to juxtapose two things. I had that one verse that God has put eternity. But in that verse, it also reminds us that no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. There is this reality that I can picture that the world has come from a place and it's going for and it's going forward to a place and that God is in charge of all that and I am not God. I don't get to be in charge of all of it. 
like I would like to be. I don't get to be able to extend myself into the future. And we could talk forever and day about how we with modern science are actually trying to do that, how we're trying to, through all kinds of, you know, human genome uh, ex- expressions and experiences are, are trying to like copy ourselves and make ourselves eternal. Not unlike what the people of the Tower of Babel were trying to do. Like we're going to plant ourselves here on the plain and we will not be moved. We will not ever be dissolved. We will not ever be disintegrated. Like we, we will be God in that sense. And I, I, I just, I'm aware of that part of me that wants to be God and wants to do that. And so the other thing, you know, of course, we would want to juxtapose scripture with another beautiful piece of artwork, which is the Steve Miller band's Fly Like an Eagle. Yeah. From 1975, I think it was. And this sense of time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. This sense that I'm aware of this. And then he wants to fly like an eagle. He wants to be away from this body. In other verses in the song, he lists a number of things about the world that are the world gone wrong. People who are without food, people without shelter, people who are without family. This sense of suffering, this sense of agony, this, and, it, and time just keeps slipping. And I just want to escape from this. There is this sense in which I want to escape from this. And we, I'm, I'm tempted to want to do this. I'm tempted to want to escape from the reality and my awareness that time keeps slipping into the future. There's all these things about my life and about the world around me that is not okay. And I can't do anything about it. Absolutely. Because turns out only God gets to be in charge of all those things. I just want to slip away. And hence, I've got all my addictions. I've got all the things that I do that help me, you know, try to slip away to go into some other place and some other time. You know, one of the things, Pepper, that we talk about that is true about what the brain does with time and our suffering, and and why is it that time plays such an significant role in the function of the mind has a lot to do with what I tell people that is true about when, when they come into my office. I said, most people who are in my office, one thing that is true about them, it's not the only thing, but one thing that is true about much of our suffering is because we live at some place and in another time than where we actually are, which is the present moment. But so much of my mind's attention is spent directed at either the regret of the past, the sadness of the past, the disappointment of the past, the shame of the past, the brutality and trauma of the past, or I spend it anticipating the anxiety of the future. Now this past or future where to where I direct my attention can be the future that is waiting for me five minutes from now when I have to have the conversation with my wife that I'm afraid to have. Or it can have to do with, you know, I was late to that appointment and, you know, there were four people waiting for me and it backed everything up by 15 minutes and I felt so bad and I still feel really bad about that because I'm thinking about that it just happened, you know, 30 minutes ago. And of course, there are different ways. We're going to talk about the two different kinds of ways that the human mind can play with the past and the future. But most of our time, much of my time is spent either regretting because I'm wandering around in the past somewhere. And a lot of my wandering, I'm doing it and I don't even know that I'm doing it. It's not like I wake up in the morning and say like from 10 to 11 this morning, I'm just going to think about 
that year 10 years ago that was so bad, and I'm just going to think about that. No, I don't do that. We find ourselves by hook or by crook quite accidentally, but non-consciously. So we're not in, you know, we're not, we're not doing it a, in, with a lot of awareness, but we still do it willfully. We wander into parts of our past that are wounded. We wander into parts of our past that are the results of those wounds. Right. I mean, even if we're not spending time thinking specifically about those times, we're carrying those wounds and those feelings into our present and into our future. And the more I tend to think in the past in those terms and in those conditions, that then tends to do the second thing that I do, right? It's a regret of that or it's the anxiety of the future. And anxiety doesn't just show up as just worry. It can also show up as anticipated sadness, anticipated disappointment, anticipated shame. I see the future and all I sense is shame. I see the future and all I sense is fear. And particularly around certain relational dynamics, relational interactions, we might be thinking, you all might be thinking about this, about your friendships or your relationship with your parents or with your kids or with your in your marriages. You might be thinking about it in your business prospects, the people that you're working with, your employees or employers. We imagine, well, how much longer do I have to be in this job? I'm gonna be in this job forever. Because we think so much into the future without paying attention to the fact that that's what we're doing. And often the role of shame is hard at work in both of these domains. And so this is part of the challenge. And the other part of the challenge is just that my awareness, my, my brokenness and the way that I see the world in general is a reminder to me of what the writer of Ecclesiastes says, which is that only God gets to occupy, gets to occupy all of eternity. God has placed eternity in my heart. I'm, an, I'm aware of time but I don't rule time. And this is also anxiety provoking for me in my current state of mind, because I have such a hard time just resting and trusting in God, just exhaling in the present moment. Instead, I end up regretting and about the past and worrying about the future. And I can't get my mind out to the edges of it so that I know that I can like manage all that stuff. I'm going to go to my grave with certain relationships still unhealed because of the things that I still regret from the past. I mentioned earlier that there are two ways, two separate ways that the brain tends to consider and to respond to the temporal domain of the mind. One is the more passive way that we've been talking about. Like I said, most of us don't put on our to-do list for tomorrow, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to plan, I'm going to, I'm going to regret uh, uh, two weeks ago. That's what I'm going to do from eight to nine. And then from two to three, I'm going to worry about the future. Like we don't plan to do that. It happens quite passively. It happens kind of automatically. Right. We find ourselves in these places kind of like wandering in my imagination, in my daydreaming in these places, but it tends to fill my life. But that's different than a different way. There's a second way that we actually have a posture toward in a relationship with time, and that is a more active, intentional, explicit use of the dorsolateral, the right dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, the part of me that is my planning brain. And so there are times when we can think about the past. I'm going to reflect on the past 
If you are in a counseling session and your therapist asks you, or if your pastor asks you, or your, your friend asks, your husband, your wife asks you, tell me about your day. I'm actually going to reflect with intention. With intention, I'm going to reflect on this, but I'm doing so for the purpose of acquiring wisdom. I'm not doing so because my mind is just kind of like hijacking me and taking me down some path of regret where shame is waiting. No, this is an activity that is intended to bring me to healing and integration. You all may have done this. I do this. Pepper, I think you've done this. When we journal, right? When we write. When we write, we are, we are reflecting on our past because we are anticipating that the Spirit of God is going to be in that writing process and revealing things to us. And so I want to listen to particular pieces of music, not just to be nostalgic, but because I want to reflect. I want to go back in my day and create a gratitude journal. I want to go back and think, what am I grateful for? Because I want to pull that gratitude on purpose with intention into my present moment and have it shape my mind. And the fact that I can go back to this morning when my wife prayed for me because something difficult this day was coming forward, I go back to that and I sit with that and we pay attention to it in order for it to come, but we're, we're bringing it forward in order for it to shape who we are. I am reflecting on the past. I'm not regretting the past. I'm reflecting on the past. And the same way when the future comes, we talk about my planning brain. Again, I don't plan to worry, but I do plan other things that I want to have be purposeful. So I'm going to plan for these two hours that we're spending today recording. I'm going to plan to write that note to my wife or to my friend. I'm going to plan to do things. And here's the beautiful thing about planning. It is with intention. And when we are doing this with intention, all of that, both reflecting and planning, is an activity that I'm doing in the present moment. Even though it has to do with either the past or the future, the activity itself that the brain is engaged in is not taking place in the past or the future. It's taking place right now in the only time I ever have, the present moment. I don't know that I'm, you know, (laughs) we were talking about earlier, like I'm at the age where my father had his first heart attack. And so I, you know, I think about that. But I don't think about it, I, don't, I often find myself wandering into that territory, not reflecting for the purpose of moving it forward. I often find myself being taken there, and then I worry. And I will say, I'm at a time in my life when there's probably not a day goes by. You know, my father died of heart disease. His father died of heart disease. I had a brother who had heart disease. I'm like, I wonder if today is the day. Now, I don't mean to sound all macabre with you all listening to this. I mean, and, and, we're, and as you mentioned earlier, we're hoping that it doesn't really happen before this podcast is over. Yeah, just hold off until we're done recording today. I don't want to have to try to edit and mock your voice and, like, you know, put words in your mouth so that it, yeah, just don't make it difficult on me. Well, I mean, it shouldn't be that hard because, like, I feel like I'm just channeling you all the time anyway. I, I feel uh, like, like yeah. I mean, look, let's, let's just be honest. The reason uh-huh. I'm, the only reason I'm on this podcast is so that you know, like you, your your thoughts are too big. Your thoughts are so big. My thoughts are big, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, 
you know, I, 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 speaking of big thoughts, you know, you keep, a lot of what you're talking about reminds me of um, it's a line from like a poem from like the 18th century. And I can't, I don't know who the poet was or I don't know the rest of the poem, but I just, this one, this line, our, our, our births are nothing but our death begun mm-hmm. as tapers waste the moment they set fire. Wow. You know, I mean. Wait, wait, um, wait, wait, wait. Could you say that again? Say it again. Our births mm-hmm. are nothing but our deaths begun as tapers waste the moment they set fire. Could be take fire, but. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and yeah. you know, that's a, I, I hope you all push pause, rewind, play it again, play it again, play it again. Because in many respects, what you just quoted is kind of the undercurrent that we are all tempting to live with. Like, even though we're flittering about, really working hard to, you know, keep the train of death from chasing us down. Right. Which is represented by that quote that you just offered to us. We're doing all these things to pretend that we're not going to die. Yeah. Now, here's the really good news about the gospel. And interestingly enough, like, you know, like we said, that our ability to even perceive time is a brain development thing. I can't do at age two what I can do at age 22 in terms of time. I can't imagine time in the same way. And here's one of the beautiful things about the brain. From the brain's standpoint, there actually is no such thing as the past or the future. Now, here's what I mean by that. I don't mean that we don't have a past, that we don't have a story. But I mean that from the brain's perspective, even when I'm thinking about the past or imagining the future, all of that activity that gives me the sense that I am sitting two weeks ago on a dock on a lake in New York or whatever it is that I'm thinking about, all of that is taking place right now in the present moment. And the really good news about this is that because everything's taking place in the present moment, it means that the healing of our trauma that has happened in the past and that continues to take place in the future in our imagination is open. The healing of our trauma, that door is open. Because we can come into the present moment and be present with the brain that remembers our trauma to be a certain thing. We often, you know, one of the things, Pepper, that we often, that people come into my office and say is, well, you know, that happened in the past. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't go back and rewrite history. And because of that, you know, that future is set. Because I can't change the past, I have very little capacity to alter the future. To which we want to say, because it's God who has placed eternity in your heart, it's also God who in Jesus, on Good Friday, and in the years preceding that, comes to heal not only who we are right now, but he comes to heal everything in every time frame that ever was and that ever will be. You know, we, uh, we talk about 
time and one of the ways that we actually navigate it as human beings, one of the ways that we actually engage it. You know, we've talked about attachment in our episode on the narrative domain of the mind, the way that we tell stories. And so our attachment and our developing narrative and the way we tell stories, not least about ourselves, is so important as the mechanism that helps us navigate time. Because if we, if, you know, somebody would say like, well, tell us your story. You would tell us your story about your past. And if we were to say, well, tell us where you are now and then tell us where you anticipate you'll be in three weeks, in six months, in 10 years. We're all doing that in light of our attachment patterns. We're all doing that in light of the experiences that we have. And so it's not just as if it's it's us and time. My way of engaging time has everything to do with my storytelling mechanism. That is the way that I engage this phenomenon. That is what drives and determines what I do with my past and my future, how I either spend more time in regret or anxiety, or if I spend more time reflecting or planning in the present moment relative to the story that I've lived in. And the beautiful thing about what we've been learning so far about all these different domains is that when it comes to our experience of time and all of the beauty that it can give us, because as we said at the beginning, like, like even right now, I'm thinking about the, oh my goodness, I can't even remember what, what episode it was, but you sent Amy and me the pictures. I, I, I just, I would, I would want to get this up on our, on our YouTube channel. I don't know if we can, if we can do that. Send us the pictures of the robin. It was it the robin that was, that was hmm, yeah. nesting outside yeah. your window. Yeah. The nest and, and the whole architectural development of a family, building the nest, yeah laying the eggs, nesting the eggs, giving the whole shooting match. It's a temporal thing, right? You watch it from beginning to end. And I'm even sitting here now thinking, oh, that just brings such joy to me because I'm going back and with like reflecting on that. And this is what Good Friday and resurrection does for us. When Jesus shows up, behind locked doors in John 20. He's indicating the disciples that I don't just move through walls. I move through time and space. I cover everything. And so into both their regret, you can imagine these people in this room thinking about their past, regretting it, saddened by it, anxious, terrified of their futures. And Jesus shows up into this present moment and says, peace be with you. And he's not just saying peace be with you right now, because like you're probably a little overwhelmed with the fact that here I am, but it's peace be to you and the sexual abuse that happened to you when you were 10. Peace be to you in your marriage that you are really convinced is not going to make it. That Jesus was there to say to them, I'm here to redeem every single moment of time. 
not just what has happened in the past, but I'm going to be in every single moment of your future. What I want you to do is pay attention to me. What I want you to do is abide in me such that when you imagine your future, you imagine me being in it. You know, in The Shack, that lovely little book, uh, the protagonist is having a conversation with Jesus on the dock, I think, and Jesus says to him, you know, Mac, one of the problems with you humans is that when you imagine your futures, you don't imagine me being in it. And I think of all the times when I am out in my future, worrying, and Jesus isn't within a country mile of me. You know, we have this really odd, you know, for us modernists, we have this really odd passage of scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3, where Peter talks about Jesus preaching to the dead at the time of his crucifixion, that his death was not just, his death was not apparently inactive. I'm not sure what plans God has for me when I'm dead, like where I'm going to be going. Maybe come in and visit you. We'll have a scotch together. That'll be weird, but it'll be a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> I figure that when you're dead, you can't drink your share of the scotch anyway. So. No, dude, that, no, you don't get it. Like when I'm dead, Just, when I'm dead, like there will be no end to how much scotch we can drink. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and there won't be any intoxication. We're just going to enjoy the scotch. Right. That's all we're going to do. Because it's all going to be... John Prine has this song he put out on his last album, and he talks about when I get to heaven. He says, uh, uh, I'm going to have a cocktail, vodka and ginger ale, and I'm going to smoke a cigarette that's nine miles long. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is this is John Prine planning, planning for the future, yeah. right? Yeah. So I want to take this opportunity to tell you folks about uh, the Center for Being Known. And uh, actually have Kurt tell you about the Center of Being Known. They have an event coming up, and uh, I'm excited about it personally. Kurt, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about the Center for Being Known and about this event that you have that you're planning. Thanks, Pep. Most of you will not be aware that for a number of years, uh, In Hibernation has been a small nonprofit organization called the Center for Being Known. And we exist for the mission of being able to create a space where people can come together and be connected. Anyone who really has an interest or a vested stake in what's taking place in life at this intersection between interpersonal neurobiology and Christian spiritual formation. And as it turns out, that's not just something that applies to psychotherapy or the mental health field. We believe that this place of convergence of neuroscience and spiritual formation is something that has application deeply in many realms, in fact, every realm of vocational domain that we occupy. So whether you're in church ministry or you're in education or you're running a law practice or an accounting firm or you're a carpenter or you're a truck driver, whatever it is, if you're a gardener or a farmer, whatever it is, we want this to be a space where you can come together and be connected with like-minded people who are asking the questions, how can these questions of neuroscience and spiritual formation speak into my life in practical ways that I can then take away and then apply this and actually even create a community of my own who can 
both exercise and engage and apply these principles in our own particular domains of life. And to that end, CBK, as we call it, the Center for Being Known, will be having its inaugural annual conference virtually on October 22nd, Friday, October 22nd, this coming year, this coming fall, 2021. And we would invite you all to be there. You can find out more information about this by looking online at the cbk.org, the cbk.org. We expect that this is going to be an opportunity for people of a wide range of different communities, different vocational callings to come together to be nourished in this way of neuroscience and Christian spiritual formation. In fact, we're going to have four speakers, including myself, four other speakers who will be giving us a window into how they are applying this work, one in ministry, one in education, one in leadership, and one in the field of psychotherapy. Each of them, uh, people that I know personally and that are really skilled at applying this kind of work. And so with that in mind, I wanna invite you all to consider doing that again, October 22nd, 2021, our first annual CBK conference called Connections. Please join us there. Excellent. So you can find out more at the cbk.org. But this is the thing. Like we each have parts of us that feel dead, that took place someplace in the past, right? And the, and the, and like Peter isn't messing around when he writes about this, right? He 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 cites Noah. He cites the like a long way back. He doesn't just go back to David. He doesn't just go back to Moses. He goes back to Noah, almost like before time, right? To say Jesus is covering all of this that all of life is to be redeemed. And, you know, I have, I have these two remaining thoughts. One is this notion of the, the, what's coming to mind is the Pietà, right? Michelangelo's 6,700-pound marble sculpture of Mary and Jesus, St. Peter's Basilica and you know, the mother is holding her son. And what is so stunning is that the only reason we have this sculpture is because we get to see it through the lens of Easter. But because of Easter, we actually look back on time and we look at Good Friday. We look at that suffering, that affliction, for which we don't have words. We look at that mother and her boy. And it speaks to our weeping. It speaks to our own trauma, our own shame, our own powerlessness. But it does so because it tells the story that Jesus has preached to every single moment we've ever lived. that evil is desperately trying to devour. And he says, peace be to you. Peace be to you. And this reminds me, then it brings me back to this, this section of Ecclesiastes that we started with, this notion of God has set eternity in the human heart because what's so interesting 
are the verses that surround it. And those verses say this, what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. And this, I can, you know, just, just those things like, I'm like, yeah, like we look around right now, you know, we're coming out of pandemic, but we're entering into all, there, there are so many things that were, were the rancor and the war and the incivility remains. And we look at all our toil and we see the burden that we carry as a race, as individuals. And then we read these words, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And you look around and it's like, it's not hard for us to look around and see like, I got lots of places where I ain't seeing any beauty at all. I'm seeing just the opposite. And this scripture does not suggest that, that war is a beautiful thing. This scripture does not suggest that crucifixion is a beautiful thing in and of itself. It does not suggest that sexual abuse and drug addiction and all the things are beautiful in and of themselves. But it is saying that even in those spaces, over time, God will take all of it and make it beautiful. Hmm. Everything over time. And everything has its time. And, you know, I so often, you know, Pepper, worry that my life isn't going to be relevant, isn't relevant. Because, right, I walk around with that undercurrent that I'm, like, forgettable. And so I'm working really, really hard so that, like, you know, I can live forever. So, I, you know, you know I, I want to be famous. And all these things, are like, because I'm so desperately aware of, like, how forgettable I sometimes feel. This part of me, not all of me, but this, this part of me. And what God is saying is like, no, Kurt, in your time, in your, like you are being made beautiful in the time that you live on the earth. You, you, you're not being made beautiful for like, you know, the 22nd century, but that's okay. But the reason that I worry that I'm not going to be beautiful then is because I haven't waited to listen to Jesus say to me, peace be with you right now. And also in all those parts of you in your past that have led you to believe that you are not somehow an object of beauty. And so, you know, I say this to you. And uh, we often say it with uh, great, I say it with great delight and fun. But like, you're a beautiful man. And I want you to take it in. And I want to take it in. And I want you all who are hearing this to know that you are a beautiful woman. You are a beautiful man. And that time is what God is using to persuade us that it's true. And this notion that he's put eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And he's saying, I want you not to worry about that. I want you to live in the space, in the time that you occupy. The writer goes on to say, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live. While they live, while we are here in the present moment, in, and in the present moment, reflecting on my past and planning for my future, but not regretting my past or worrying about my future. Being anxious, right. 
that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have time in my box, Jesus says. Not exactly in those words. Right. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. God does it to have this this notion of fearing God at this time when Solomon would be writing. This notion of fearing God is to have this sense of awe, this sense of reverence, this sense of connection. But God also, we see hints of this throughout the Old Testament, that when God's writing even through the prophets, that when he says, and you will fear my name, it's this sense of like, you will have relationship with me. You will know me, like you will fear the Lord. This sense that like you will have, this is not like you will be afraid of me, but you will know that I am your father and you are my son and my daughter. And nothing gets between you and me, not death and not time. I simply want you to live in the time that you have in the present moment, reflecting on your past so that I may be with you in those moments to heal them through whatever way we're going to go about doing that, through its psychotherapy, through its healing prayer, through its journaling, through its encounter with art, encounter with great music, great friendships. And I want you now to plan for your future with the humility of knowing that as you plan, I take delight in it. And if you get to that future, beautiful. And if you don't, fine, because I've got your time span all wrapped up. And at the end of the day, quite literally, I have a place prepared for you. And when we're ready, I'm going to come and get you. And have you be with me because I really want you to be with me and I want to be with you for all time. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Curse. This was beautiful today. Mm. Um, you know, timely for me, there's, you know, I'm similar to you with, the passing of my father this year, that generation of my aunts and uncles and everybody, you know, it really has me thinking about time. And I want to be someone who reflects and doesn't regret, hmm. who plans and doesn't worry. I want to put in more practices of journaling and prayer and reflecting on pieces of music and spending more time with friends, hmm. you know, hmm. those things that help. Yeah. 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 This was great. <laughs> Once again. Always, man. Knocked it out of the park. Always great to be with you, brother. I just, man, somehow either you and Amy got to move to D.C. or we got to move to Cincinnati or something. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> the weather's fine. Cicadas are coming. <laughs> hey, I mean, they could have told this story about time every 17 years, bro. Like, yeah, they do tell a story about time. That's right. right. I, yeah. And I, re- and I regret that they're coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hey, uh, that's just so great. I just noticed, you know, we mentioned either come to D.C. or to Cincinnati, and Amy just piped in and said, like, or Santa Monica. 
Yeah. But I'm, I'm actually looking for a change of seasons, right? I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I suppose Santa Monica's okay. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah, like I have no sense you know. of the passage of time, except when the fires come. I suppose when the fires come, I would know. Santa Monica is actually lovely. It's just if you have to ever get out of it, yeah, it's not so fun. Wait. I mean, it's this, you know, oh, Hotel you California. can live in that bubble. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, Amy, I'm kidding. We're, we're kidding, sort of. I, I would love to live in Santa Monica, but only if you yes. make sure that you don't move from there. Right. That's right. Right. Well, we have to end this thing, Kurt. All right, man. Um, yep. Yeah. Thank good. you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate you. Love you, bro. Love you. Till next time. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and music is by Keaton Simons. If you'd like to connect with us, you can visit us on our website, beingknownpodcast.com, or you can find us on social media at beingknownpod. Be well, be known. <laughs>